Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy. With me, my co-host, Matthew Schultz. How are you, Matthew? Doing really, really good. Got the uh, the little ones starting to really develop a personality, so it's been really fun to watch. <laughs> it's not just a, a little thing that cries and poops? <laughs> no, she's, she's crawling around in her room, uh, barking like the dogs. And oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Because um, at first we thought it wasn't that, but it's very clearly she's imitating the dog. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and was it last episode that we had the uh, the bark attack or was that? Too- yeah, there was a dog and some crying <laughs> and yeah, yeah. chaos. So it's no wonder where she's getting it from, some those bad, bad influences of those dogs. But how, how I was never your, thought uh, of that, but I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. How was your... Uh, your last couple of weeks it's been interesting a couple days ago i uh, i'm a smoker and uh, when it's cold i'll go to the garage and smoke instead of going outside the uh, in the backyard or the front yard or however you look at it and uh, we have an outside cat so she sleeps in the garage overnight and sometimes spends the day in there it all depends and uh, so i have a smoke and she sits on my lap and then i walk back to the house and we kind of have like a mud room and uh, where sometimes the cat sleeps outside was like another brown thing like laying right next to the house right next to the sliding glass door and then i walked into the kitchen and i'd like did a double take and walked back and here like a raccoon was snoozing out there for the <laughs> evening <clears throat> which is real weird because uh we don't usually see him on my side of the road we live near the edge of a forest um and there's another row of houses and that's usually where they are yeah sometimes i'll see him like uh, at night when i'm leaving um and it's still dark i'll, I'll see some eyes and like the culverts or something and uh and then i was like oh shoot what if this thing has rabies or something why is it so close um but uh we opened the glass and kind of said hello to it and it just got up and walked away <laughs> but it was very strange Oh, that's funny. I had a tuxedo cat and we lived out in the the country for a while and she actually made a friend and we thought it was another cat until we realized it was actually a skunk. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it was exactly like Looney Tunes. It was like Pepe Le Pew. Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, he saw crushing on her. (laughs) Well, I was... It's like eight o'clock in the morning. The wife's still sleeping. And uh, earlier in the week, we had a there was another raccoon like in a driveway and it was like the middle of the day and it was looking all groggy. And that's kind of when you know that it might have rabies. And so uh, my wife saw it and then talked to the neighbor who then said he was going to go shovel it. And then so that's what I'm thinking as I'm staring at this raccoon is like, I don't really want to shovel this raccoon. Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, what do you do in this situation? And uh, thankfully, I didn't have to shovel the raccoon. Well, so good. it was a good week. So you didn't have to cry, yeah. cry yourself to sleep. <laughs> or no, nothing. <laughs> nothing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that would have been fun. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's go ahead and get started with the show. Um, so what have you been uh, playing these last two weeks? Uh, well, I couldn't resist and I ended up picking up Cuphead, um, which uh, you may have heard of. <laughs> If, yes. If you're breathing I, on the internet. With Sonic Mania and now Cuphead, I've been very tempted to finally buy an Xbox One, but I think I have to buy a new fridge instead. Mm. But it's like very tempting now. <laughs> Cold food or uh, uh, warm video games. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't. Okay. So I'll say that I haven't played enough to really give a good uh, sort of 
overview of what I think of it. Um, I will say the default button layouts is perplexing and uh, very um, cramp-inducing given the tasks that you have to perform in the game. So the first thing that I, f I found after a while was thinking about the controls, and I'm like, I, can I change these? And so thankfully you can, but um, I, the, the default button placement is very odd. Um, hmm. But the game itself is, is you know, beautiful. I've uh, been playing with the wife. Um, I'm just, it's, it's, it's weird because everyone seems to em be embracing it so much, and I seem to be having some of my own weirdness with it as far as... Uh, the film grain and all that stuff makes for interesting. Uh, w with two player, it's very hard to you lose track of who are, who you are, especially because the character profiles are are pretty much identical. Um, yeah. And so, uh, more than most shooting games, I, I find myself losing track of where my character is. And part of the problem, I think, with that is that you're on the same plane for the most part, especially in the boss battles. Yeah. And so that makes it really difficult to like in like a beat 'em up, you know, you've got that kind of vertical you can go up and down on. And so, it, uh, but even then you typically have completely different looking characters. So you can always tell who you are. Um, it, you I've experienced that. Like the last time I played two player Raiden, which is a vertical shooter, even though like one ship is red and one ship is blue, I found myself not looking at the ships. Obviously you're kind of looking at where your bullets are going. And then that makes it very easy to all of a sudden forget or mix up which bullets are yours. And next thing you know, you're flying into something. Yeah. I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if it's the size of the, the artwork that's that's throwing it off because um, that could be it it could be just the sprites are or whatever you want to call you know the cells in this case I guess they're just a little too large maybe um, uh, but I mean other than that like I, I am having a blast with it um, it, it, so this would be like your old school running gun like a metal slug or a contra yeah you know it kind of reminds me for a little kind of a little bit I'm I get um, what is it gunstar uh, okay yeah Gunstar um, Heroes. yeah i'm getting a little bit of that you know it's it's got a world map um there, there's some weird choices and i just don't understand quite the thinking behind it there there's platforming levels but they don't end in a boss because they you know they were originally going to make this a boss rush game apparently um but it to me like the traditional thing like say in contra or whatever is you get through the stage and then there's like a boss you get to you know, so, something to that effect, but there's like kind of a Mario three. Uh, well, that's not a good example, but there's like a world map that you can <laughs> kind of travel around kind of like your typical RPG almost. And then you can initiate um, different stages essentially. Uh, and there's, there's the a difficulty option that you can choose and then I'll change the boss patterns and things like that. So it's a, I mean, if you just want to get in and start playing, it's a great game for that. Like if you want, if you want to start shooting things and, and just go for it. But it just seems, and of course, the difficulty. Yeah. Where? What did you? How did you find the difficulty level? Um, it seems, and this is I haven't played it by myself, but it actually seems like it might be a little bit easier. The non-platforming elements might actually be easier with a buddy because there's a move called parry where you can uh, jump off of uh, elements on the stage, and uh, when your partner dies, you can do that to them and revive them. And so it's like a last chance to bring them back. You don't share a life pool either. So um, playing with a friend actually I think helps uh, m kind of as a coping mechanism too because it's so difficult. Um, but but it is 
it is a lot of just you know typical 8-bit once you memorize certain things then you get it down so you're rewarded for you know for that and it has a unique way when you die you can see how far you were through the the battle to nice. see yeah see how much you had to go but um, it's like outrun where it teases you like oh you were so close exactly but it, it's <laughs> it's a, it's good um i'm not totally in love with it just yet but but I will say that the music, the art style, all of that is incredible. And the fact that the small team made it and, and, and everything, I, I had to sort of, I felt like I had to help them <laughs> when I heard they uh, uh, mortgaged the, I think they mortgaged three homes in order to, to see this to the end. So I don't remember if I'm confusing it with something else, but I think they've sold over a million. Yeah. So They're, they should uh, they they probably paid off their mortgages. Ho- hopefully, so long as they didn't take out any any other extra money. Unless their houses were worth a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. Um, I feel like I don't remember the year, but there's been times where the games have kind of blown me away, where it kind of. It just feels refreshing and new and like something different. Yeah. I remember N plus, which is when I talk about. And then there was a few after that, like Super Meat Boy, that kind of redefined or, or made a new genre or kind of brought back something that was old and dead and it felt new. And Portal is another one that really blew me away around the same time where I was kind of getting bored of the 360 and modern gaming. And then Portal was like, oh, my God, games can still be like ridiculously new and refreshing and exciting. Yeah. And I, I think this could be a new you know, when you think of, oh, they should just make uh, X 8-bit game or 16-bit game only, uh, make it 2D side-scrolling, but just make the graphics, you know, up-to-date, I guess you could say. These guys... And have, that have, never works out. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, they always at, end up going 2.5D and, you know, it just it doesn't feel right. Or they go, you know, they'll try to do the, the pixel thing. But I think this is evidence that possibly an animated route could could work out really well for some of these games just because these guys really they've they figured yeah, something out. I haven't out played it yet obviously, but looking at like the effects, it really feels like they figured out like, you know, we have all these fancy uh, what they do with shaders and GPU power with 3D and it really seems like they figured out how to take that and apply it to sprites in a way that's never really been done before. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Definitely recommend um playing it uh but I just don't, I don't know, like, I think this might be something I play every, like once a year, but I think I, I'm getting a taste that I think it's very, it, it seems to, there's a lot of hints in the game that it's, it's actually quite short. Um, but yeah, the difficulty, uh, you know, I think, I think with, if you have older tastes in games, the difficulty isn't as trying as it would be for, for modern, for people who maybe only grew up on, on modern games. So. Right on. Yeah. So last week I talked a little bit about DuckTales and uh, I've finally beaten it every which way you can and uh, I made my review about it and I think the game is overrated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I was, um, you know, it's a game I've always enjoyed, not a game I'd ever beaten, but kind of like going through it 10 times, it really... It isn't spectacular, and it's not just, oh, I don't have a preference for the style of game. There is some, like, legitimate issues with the controls, not always being responsive. And then something that felt weird, but I couldn't put into words, but then when I reviewed the footage, like, frame by frame, then it became very obvious that the collision detection in the game isn't very good either. Really? And, no, 
the like the hip boxes of the enemies and then Scrooge McDuck are just way too large and you take a lot of you know cheap hits uh, due to no fault of your own really what uh, um yeah so you press I forget you press down to <laughs> so the controls are the first problem right so you jump with the A button but then to do the pogo jump which is the main gimmick in the game you have to switch your thumb from A to B and press down so to perform the main thing that you do to jump higher and jump off enemies and uh, break treasure chests and things like that requires a three button combo um, which is really kind of hard to get um, right like there is a big learning curve there yeah which is kind of silly but you can get used to it but like i was going through some old games uh castle of illusion on the genesis for example uh has a very similar maneuver but you can actually you press a to jump and then you can just press a again to do the butt bounce right and it seems like something simple like that especially since you can't do anything else in the air would have made a lot more sense yeah and i know that seems very nitpicky but like when you actually play it you start to realize how like why do i have to perform this three button combo to do something that's like necessity you know a necessity in the game right and i can get over that but it is like i can look at the footage or even when i'm playing and see okay i know i pressed down and b and nothing happened or just reviewing like hitting enemies like you can see the animation that you hit the enemy you can clearly see that the enemy never hit you yet you take damage just little stuff like that it feels very kind of sloppy as far as controls and hit detection and then for me when you think about an nes game like you kind of think about the you know pixel perfect um platforming or pixel perfect action and you don't think of you know a lot of people especially that listen to this podcast and you know people like me you know that really have a thing for retro games that's not really what you think when you think about the sega genesis the super nintendo or the nes you know you think about the gameplay being very tight and very accurate and it kind of feels weird to go through and not have that while playing this game yeah it's funny because uh i was just uh talking about the the button layouts in in cuphead and Mm -hmm. this is kind of the same thing what i found aggravating with it was i I just it just didn't feel natural the the motions that i was having to make on a on the exact what you're describing on a repeated basis I kept having to make make my contort my hand to do things a certain way that just it didn't feel natural or um, easy to pull as easy to pull off as as it should be. Given that just performing that alone is the diff- like if the you- challenge should not come from having to right. fight with the controls. Exactly, the, the controls should be natural. Right. Yeah. And you can feel that in some games. Like if you play Metal Slug, if you play Contra, um, you know, you play Mario Brothers, obviously, Sonic the Hedgehog, like the, you never have to think about the controls. Right. Like you're there makes sense. Everything's logical and you can perform all the functions. And that's never where the challenge comes from. Right. There's a learning curve at first, but that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but it should become natural. <laughs> so anyway, I was very surprised. I, I decided to call the video something else um, just because um, I was kind of getting tired of comments like, uh, of course, this video game is still good. What is the point of this video? Um, so I decided, well, fine, I'll just name it something more clickbaity. And uh, no one complained and I was very surprised. So either I made a really good video that, you know, didn't warrant a complaint or I'm not alone and a lot of people think that ducktales is a good game but not a masterpiece yeah i think it's that moon that moon theme you know yeah it is good (laughs) (laughs) it's so good um alrighty i'm gonna before we move on to your next item let me just uh i'll move on to kirby's epic yarn um which i thought i would have completed yesterday in time for this episode but uh like just about every game it's actually taking me longer to beat uh, or complete than I expected. So I think I have 12 or 13 hours on my save file and I still have probably three hours to go, which I'll do tomorrow. But Kirby's Epic Yarn is a Wii game uh, and it's a platformer and it's kind of amazing. And I didn't have a Wii, so a lot of these Wii games are new to me. Yeah. Well, and you know what's... I, I've got to say, because you've got a frame meister, you get to experience the game at a fidelity that just nobody gets to. Uh, well, this what's nice with one of the nice things about the Wii U is it's a really awesome Wii. So I don't need the frame meister for this. Oh, that's true. It doesn't. The Wii the, U just does a really nice job, like a, a really nice job. I never tried playing any Wii games on the Wii U because I always found that obviously with the Wii you you have the the most you can do is a uh, component, right? That's the or is it composite? I always get them mixed up. The, um, the who? But the Wii. The, the, Sorry. Yeah, the Wii. Um, yeah, the Wii is limited to 480p component video. And this is a Wii game, right? This is a Wii game. Yeah, yep. but. It, so it looks I mean Wii games look a lot better uh on on the Wii U like it's it's cause I don't have a Wii so I can't compare them mm. but I it is all digital to digital there is no analog conversion okay. so you have that going for it yeah and then i don't know what upscaling algorithm nintendo uses to upscale the 480p Wii game to 720p or 1080p but it's like really good okay cool yeah, um, I, this is one I have as well. I think it's still sitting on the shelf sealed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a shame. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I... Um, so every Kirby game, they kind of try something new. Um, kind of reminds me of the Yoshi games a little bit. But I feel like Kirby tends to stay more to its roots. But in this one, he's got, f- like, he's got like a lasso. Is that right? He's made out of yarn and everything is like made out of fabric. So it creates much like Cuphead. It creates this really unique visual style. Um, and this is why it doesn't even really need to be high definition, because when you have a close up of like, like, let's say, uh, take a DVD where you have a close up of a face. It looks pretty good on a DVD and it, there's really not much more detail there for Blu-ray. And so like these fabric textures which are pretty zoomed in like you can see every thread and fiber so it looks really good just as a Wii game and uh, I forgot where I was going with that but yeah so Kirby's made out of yarn all the enemies are yarn so it's kind of like this line art style on top of like a quilted texture and then they do a really good job of kind of layering everything on top of each other so it doesn't look like 3d but it sort of gives you a sense of depth at the same time so the visual style is just really 
kind of it's something i've never seen before it, it's very striking yeah <laughs> and because you know the wii is obviously overpowered for you know a, a game mostly based on sprites or, <laughs> or limited polygons like right. it has no problems like running the game it just moves really fluid and the animation is really nice and then unlike ducktales or cuphead the controls are responsive and terrific and uh, actually just very very simple so like your main moves are uh, Kirby, you know, can obviously jump and do the lasso thing to, to lasso enemies. Uh, but like when you jump, if you press down, you know, you turn into a weight and drop to the ground. Or alternatively, if you press the jump button a second time, you turn into an umbrella and float and uh, double press left or double press right to turn into a car and go faster. It's like you have four main moves and it's the simplest thing in the world. Yeah. And uh, another thing, it does have two players, so a second player can jump right in. And this game kind of has a reputation for being very easy because, like, you can't really die. And so you there's no reason you can't just brute force your way through the entire game without a problem. Yeah, but that's, um, that's me- sort of a staple of the Kirby games. I mean, the fun is in... It's, it's never it's, been very difficult, no. Yeah, but and it's... Uh, I think we talked about it before, but it's kind of soul, fo- soul food gaming. Um, Kirby's like, the you know, a warm bullet soup or something that uh, it's very happy like it, you just you play it and it's happy yeah. it makes it's like happiness in a video game exactly <laughs> um but no it, some kirby things are missing he can't inhale enemies and steal their power um and he can't uh, float or she i don't know what kirby is they it uh kirby can't float so the gameplay is not you know, totally Kirby. It's more like a traditional platformer, but it it plays so good. The only thing I'm noticing is I don't know why some Wii games don't support the classic controller. And I really hate playing Wii games using the Wii mote as a joypad because the D-pad is too small. Mm -hmm. It's not comfortable to hold. And the one and two buttons uh, are too small. Yeah. I just don't like the the hook that ends up happening with the D-pad. And that yeah, and the D pad itself is like it. It's it too wouldn't small. Be, yeah, it wouldn't be too, so bad if it was too small. But it's also like razor sharp. You could probably cut cheese with that with that D pad. <laughs> it's not. It sucks to use. There's another game. I have a Batman game on the Wii, and and it's just like I can't play games. Like, why does this not control? Like the classic controller for the Wii is amazing. It has a really great D pad. It fits really well in the hands. The buttons are big. Like it's just a great controller and i don't understand why i'm forced to play this way right <laughs> i don't i don't understand oh man Can, so yeah go ahead no go um but it, i mean it's it's a kirby game it's beautiful and and uh man i, I really it's, need to play this one it's just you should unseal it it is the most stress-free wonderful thing i've played in a really long time <laughs> and uh 100 going for 100 percent is a lot more challenging because you have to find like three items and collect enough gold to get a goal or gems to get a gold medal yeah. in every level um and that's where the challenge comes from so yeah you could beat this game anybody could beat this game uh, but then going for you know going above and beyond is then where the designers kind of hid that challenge for for somebody more experienced so that's i'm finding that a lot of fun yeah i've definitely sworn at the tv a few times so <laughs> it's not the easiest thing in the world going for 100 percent. right uh, but yeah i'll finish i'll complete that tomorrow and uh yeah i'll probably uh 
probably a week out uh, from having that video uh, done, but I'm I'm excited. It's uh, it's a game I kind of just bought blind a couple weeks ago, and I put it in, and I'm like, okay, I'm reviewing this. This is like mind blowing. Like this is so interesting. Like my wife has sat on the couch and watched me play it for three hours, and my wife has never watched me play a game for three hours before. <laughs> Like that's how interesting it is to look at. Yeah, the gra- graphically, uh, from what I remember, it just it is kind of astonishing because you know you mentioned Cuphead, but but it it doesn't have that feeling that you're looking at maybe pre-rendered sprites or anything like that. Everything has kind of a a pull to it and a little squishiness to it. Um, what the, you the the attention to detail, like when Kirby walks along every surface, like the fabric, like crushes under his weight yeah and it's just this i can't even i don't even know it'll be interesting to try and write what it looks like but it's so unlike anything else i've ever played that's cool all right i think i think you beat sonic the hedgehog i did yes (laughs) (laughs) and you were totally you were right on with uh once once i got past robotnik on uh labyrinth zone but it was kind of free, you know, coasting afterward. After that, g- kind of for me, um, I got really close, <laughs> admittedly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so last last episode, I had left it at I was on Act Three, and Labyrinth Zone. And so uh, just to set this up a little bit, the Labyrinth Zone Act 3 is underwater and the final boss is not actually a boss, even though the game doesn't tell you this. The only goal is to make it vertically up this gauntlet of uh, fire hazards that shoot across the screen and um, spikes that go in and out. And uh, you're underwater. So that means you have limited time before you drown and there's no air bubbles. So you kind of have to make it up this platform forming gauntlet and once you reach the top you beat the boss yes so that was but, that was my main problem but, was uh my expectation was that i was there to defeat robotnik and because of the way the level had so i mean every stage before this is you hit robotnik what something like 10 times or whatever it is yeah and uh that's that's how you defeat him and so i had gotten to the end of the um act three and that that Act three starts out on like an infinite falling roller coaster, right? That's actually yes. yeah. So do you figure out how to break your way out of it? And then and then you the level starts to open up and it, it's kinda like kind of reminds me of Mario's uh cast the last castle on the original Mario uh with the maze and you have to figure out the order in order to get it to stop going in a loop. Um and so I figured when I got to the boss, Robotnik's the last thing, I was like, oh, because I'm chasing him upwards, it's just going to keep going upwards f- till infinity until I kill him. And so I was, um, I wouldn't say throwing in the towel in the battles every time, but I wasn't, I had never considered the possibility of, well, let me just keep going up and try not try to hit him. It never really popped into my head. I was like, man, I, I can't even reach him to, to kill him. And so I was, I was focused on getting better at scaling <laughs> with with a fast speed and and as a result you know i kept dying because uh, of the spikes and the, the eventually the fire stuff once you get high enough and and all that and so it just uh i i had to uh it was quite a few attempts and continue <laughs> in order to to get this thing down <laughs> and it, uh, it's um 
I was really disappointed once I just, I actually made it to the top and he goes right and I'm like, oh, now I chase him on a flat plane and then literally he just whips by <laughs> and there's the thing to let the animals out and I'm, I was crushed um, because I was, part of part of what was making this, yeah, it, I was making it too hard for myself and it was, it was mostly because. Well, the game makes you think you need to get up there and get hits and so you're trying to make it up quickly because you need to hit them and it's just like it's fake. Yeah. You don't need to hit him. You just need to get through without getting touch damage. Yeah. Um, but the game never conveys that or communicates that to the player. Yeah, there's no signaling that that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, but so that really, what I realized that was, and I, I wonder about this, is is this any different in the Japanese version? Because I think what happened here is because, you know, the whole rental thing in the U.S., I'm wondering if they amped the difficulty up uh, to make this harder so that if you rented this, you wouldn't be able to beat it. Um, That's certainly possible. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I really am wondering, and, and I kind of want to start searching YouTube and look up videos and stuff to see if the if the fight, the difficulty, maybe there's less spikes, maybe the water doesn't raise as fast, you know, who knows, but maybe it's actually easier uh, with, with the... Uh, with the Japanese version of the game, because I feel like, I feel like this is so arbitrarily difficult. It felt intentional. <laughs> I am reasonably sure it's identical to the Japanese version. Okay. I think it, if it was, now that you mention it, I know that in the nineties companies did this, especially uh, Virgin games um, with the Lion King being notable, but even Toy Story by Traveler's Tales, they took out the continue system in the U S version for no reason. Um, but I, I'm fairly certain that Labyrinth Zone is the same. I think they just didn't, they didn't, I just think it's sloppy to be honest with you. Yeah. It's probably a case of the developers being you know, so skilled at the game that they didn't realize the, the, the difficulty spike that they had created possibly when they were making it something. That, yeah. yeah. But so omitting that, like moving on, um, a starlight zone was the next zone. Right. Um, and the most noticeable thing, notable thing of, of the zone to me, uh, was really the boss fight because that, that was the first, I was talking uh, previously about how like Robotnik kind of felt samey, and mm-hmm. Labyrinth Zone was different, but it was yep. so um, frustrating that I don't even you know it's just I it never happened. <laughs> I'm in denial, <laughs> but uh, but I liked the the you know he was dropping those bombs and I I never actually tried hitting him by by. Uh, having uh the bomb come down and then bouncing me up i i i'm guessing you can but i was actually i don't know i got really good at <laughs> lobbing the bombs at him and just the, eventually there's a pattern that you can just lob bomb at uh six or eight bombs at him one after another like once you get the pattern down it's that's all you gotta oh, do really i just stayed in the middle yep. and just did the middle one i just kept yeah i'm pretty sure that's the one yeah you just you let it hit and he'll fly into it every time yeah so so that that to me was the most unique thing, but yeah, I did notice that all the Robotnik fights seem to come down to there's a way to cheese it. Um, there you go. You know where, it, and it kind of <laughs> it kind of feels it's like a bummer, I guess. But um, I guess that's true of anything once you get good good enough at something. But uh, the the zone itself, um, I don't know. I, I I definitely like I was saying before when you go back to these stages, that's when you really start to 
it starts to make almost make more sense kind of and this yeah, one, where you kind of get an idea in Starlight Zone in particular, there's like a few like really well placed invincibility power ups that let you get through some of those stupid exploding enemies like, you know, with no problem. Right. And once you kind of find those and get the flow, it becomes very easy. Um, but on the first few tries, like you have no chance of getting 50 rings you no. know, and then getting to the exit. It's too difficult. <laughs> but the- like when I went through my footage, like once you yeah, once you kind of learn the flow find a few secrets it becomes uh yeah much better yeah well and it's it's kind of a trolley like the very first uh, act one is very trolley because it's like (laughs) oh there's a uh, there's the coins going down and it's like oh well i want to go down rings and uh, yeah the rings yeah and so you go down and then it's like oh (laughs) you wanted to live well that's not gonna happen (laughs) yeah it does it doesn't There's a lot of death pits. There's a lot, you know, like you learn that, oh, you can't touch the bomb enemies. Well, that would have been nice to, you know, that kind of just changes what every other enemy behavior has been up to this point. Yep. They're invincible. I I think is a little annoying. Yeah. When you get in the invincibility, (laughs) you can't do anything to them either. Well, and the other thing that I had happen uh, twice was um, I just fell through the ramps. Never had I ever had this happen on any stage. Um, but but this one I wasn't getting fast enough starts because I kept fighting the the uh, fans. The wind, yeah, the yeah. Fans. And so I would find some sort of um, missing collision detection or something, and just fall right through the ramp. And sometimes I would land on the next part of the stage below me or just die because yeah. there's not you know there was nothing below. Um, but I did. Uh, I don't know. I can't really say anything else about that that stage in particular, um, because it 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 felt like the what it was like for me on the earlier Sonic stages where, um, I just sort of started picking a path and and getting through it. Um, but the scrap, uh, so scrap brain. <laughs> The typical last Sonic level, exactly. Scrap brain zone is where it all starts. Yeah. What do you think of scrap brain zone? The three acts of Scrap Brain Zone. Well, I mean, it it was frustrating. The yeah. the 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 rotating platforms, especially because that you collide with them when they're closed, and so you have to time your jump so that when it's spinning, you you're gonna land on top of it as soon as they close. Um, so that's a little frustrating. Uh, it took me. It actually took me, admittedly probably a minute and a half the i can't remember if it was the second act or the first one with this spinning uh there's like this the rotating blue things that you you if you go the direction that it's going you'll stick to it like those little like anti-gravity round things yeah and so i actually was juggling a single um a single what is it coin rings i was juggling with the, oh, there we go i was juggling with a single ring Sorry. <laughs> and not getting zapped getting zapped getting that ring back getting zapped getting that ring back because there's like a pit and then and then i was fighting it going the direction the opposite direction i'm like oh i must need to go against it and then that way i can jump up and get out of here and i i just kept falling and finally i accidentally went went the direction that it was rotating and stuck to it and it you know so there's like um I don't know. I don't know what I think of it really because it it was another thing where it turned into a gauntlet of me juggling, getting hit, just grabbing booking, a ring. It, booking it, grabbing a ring and, and, and staying alive. Um, the, 
uh, yeah but but it's it's the whole the state the stage is the sort of the the enemy because um you know there's there's this part where there's like a treadmill and there's a bunch of of the um like these cu- cutting uh like blades blades the, yeah and yeah. and and I'm I'm up there battling them and and uh, you know losing a couple lives, um, or like once or twice dying up there and then I just fall and it's like oh there's a safety net below me, like I thought I would you know I thought it was going to be a bottomless pit so there's things like that that once once you start to learn the stage and, and everything and um, I think it was Act Two where I also was able to get you know vertically pretty high up. And that actually seemed to be where it's the more challenging area um, because you kind of b- go up and then backtrack a bit. But um, I, I've got to say, like, the way that I'm describing it and everything, even though I didn't like the like the fire, that's tough to to deal with. Um, I think I'm, for the most part, I'm stuck on Acts. Acts 2 uh, is the one that really sticks in my head because that, that was what started... The first one introduced the falling the 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 pits that would just open up the little red and white um, bridges that would just collapse, I think Act One, but I don't know. It just felt like there wasn't enough signals telling me as a player like I had to the trial and error was just dying, and and that's pretty much what I I I feel like about Sonic in general. But I I feel like I I can't really judge it because. Like I was saying before, it, it is about coming back to it again and, and being the better player and, and then and going through that again. And I think ultimately the ending of the game, most likely the first time you beat Sonic, you're not getting all the Chaos Emeralds. And so the way that it ends and, you know, Robotnik's sitting there laughing at you and, and it's like, try again. And he's got the Chaos Emeralds. It's a way of... First, I think, do those only... However many you got... That's all he has left is whatever is remaining. Yeah, I'm trying to find my notes because I take notes whenever I play um, to get my scrap brain notes, but I can't seem to find them for some reason, um, which is unfortunate. But yeah, he uh, so like, you know, there's in the first game, six chaos emeralds. So if you got two, then he's going to be teasing you with four. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's a great way to go back and and uh, to encourage you to go back and, and experience the because of the 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 different ways you can uh approach a level and and all that and the different um paths and secrets and and things like that it really is about coming back and playing it again and i think that's where my appreciation really started to grow a lot and since i was near the end of the game and the difficulty curve isn't i don't know when you get hit, you're invincible. So you and you just need to get those coins again, and so it creates this way where you can kind of just uh, brute force your way through a stage. But that I feel like that's ultimately, you know, you could beat Sonic that way. But I think ultimately the the best experience is when you're you're you get good enough where you're like you've kind of memorized the stage a bit and you know you know what to expect and stuff like that and then you get a little more comfortable with it and you start to explore more or take different kinds of chances and stuff and that's when you start to discover some of the the hidden elements of it um but another recurring thing i'm i'm still noticing is every level every every zone has these recurring motifs in it it does they do come back and uh it 
I, I feel like the Robotnik stages, the scrap brain is really where it, it that's for me, that was the hardest to notice um, because it kept felt, it felt like it kept changing uh, gears. Like every, every zone felt a little or every act felt a little, a little different. And then the final one, the third one was just kind of, it felt, I don't know, it was pretty short. And then all of a sudden you're fighting Robotnik and, and of course I died immediately. Like I get to Robotnik, uh. and and I didn't know what was gonna happen, and the platform comes up, and I immediately get squished, and it's like, oh, it's gonna be like this. Um, but ultimately, I just ended up picking the right hand side, and then just yeah. anytime he showed up on the first two, I would just you know go after him, and and then play it safe, and uh, so I really thought there was gonna be maybe another form. Um, I'm wondering if that's something that will happen in in the next uh, Sonic game. Um, the that the Sonic two, one and Sonic two there is you see the final boss without getting all the chaos emeralds. Um, so yeah, as you noted, the final boss in Sonic one is really easy, and you don't have any rings. But if you just play it safe, you just it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I think after the kind of crappiness that is scrap brain zone um it's kind of like okay good because i don't want to have to go through that again right yeah um so yeah once you get through labyrinth zone act three get through that gauntlet the game is not that it never gets that hard again no um so what uh what were some of your pet peeves with the entirety of the game well okay so the the big one for me because it's so tied into getting continues would be that when you get a hundred rings or a hundred coins, co- no rings. rings that <laughs> oh, man, hundred rings. When you get a hundred rings, um, I feel like there needs to be. <laughs> you're going and changing the notes. Uh, I feel like there needs to be a an indicator that that's occurred because because there's two, there, this is to solve a different problem really. The the when you get to the end of the stage and the giant ring is there, you've got like, it feels like you have maybe a second and a half to get to that. If ring. you are moving at full speed and don't realize, Oh shoot, that's the ending. I need to turn around. It's over. Yeah. It's too late for you to get into the giant ring, which is really silly. Yeah. I, I wish that you'd just go to the bonus stage. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know why it's another thing that you've got to, <laughs> you know, and that's why I'm, I was, I put in the notes. I'm like, you know, if you hit that hundred rings, then just, Make a noise. Take me to the bonus stage. Well, yeah, or just like make a noise. Oh, sorry. So, once you're in the bonus stage. Well, once you're so you're in the act, you get the rings and you've reached that that watermark, because it it seems that it's a hundred coins even if you lose the coins. Um, sorry. It's fifty rings. It's oh, it's fifty rings. So yeah, so oh, okay. if you got a hundred and then got fifty, you're okay. Still I'm always it. shooting for a hundred because I need those those lives. Because <laughs> you need those lives, <laughs> right? But um, but it it feels like it should just like indicate okay you you got it and so that when you get near the end of the stage you know that you're you're to expect that but that's really just to solve the problem of they don't give you enough time to get to the darn giant ring um but i i I wonder if they chose that because it's like well maybe for the hardcore players we want them to not have to do that i don't know but the rings are the bonus stages are required to get the chaos emeralds so that that whole thing is weird and definitely pet peeve um the invincibility music is another one that drives me crazy because there's no indication that it's going to end. Um, and so you don't, I guess, unless you have it really memorized or you count it. Unless you memorize the song. Right. <laughs> there's no, there's no like, um, 
thing that says, oh, it's going to, the, your, you know, like, do, 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 or something like those. I'm trying to think if you still have like a second after the song ends, but I, I really just can't place it. It's yeah. Been a while. I don't think you do. And the other thing is, it might just be me and maybe maybe it's because i've i'm so keen on the music for the invincibility that that but it, it does feel like the timing is different every time and i don't know if that's just me am i could cr- be the slowdown in the game oh uh, yeah that could well yeah i wonder is- if the clock the, cl- the <laughs> clock the animation clock and the actual invincibility clock are two different things and so that could be it because it does because the music doesn't slow down only the graphics yeah that you know what that's probably what it is um and and so that really throws me that throws me off uh because it just it feels inconsistent and i almost want to you know record it and then and run a timer <laughs> just so i know because it, it it feels off um but i mean other so, than that it feels it, the by the end of the game the last the last stage is um the brain zone in particular just feels a little it feels really inconsistent if and it and it's like you're saying, it's that typical, like, we just got to throw everything at the player to make it, it feel like it. It just doesn't feel finished. It just no. feels like a bunch of crap stuck to a level. Yeah, and I really said, does. all right, that's good. It yeah. doesn't feel thoughtful. No, the. It just isn't thoughtful. No, I agree. The, the. Okay. So for instance, the things, the electricity, um, they, they, sh- so it's an orb in the center. It's a Tesla, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a Tesla orb or whatever that's called. And it sh- it shoots out electricity to its sides, but it's so hard to judge how wide that shot is going to be of that electricity, and then they'll space them out next to each other. But the, the or stick an enemy there, so you it, have to jump and then get yeah. hit, or and so, not jump and get hit. Right. If it was two rods on a, either end, and you knew that it was gonna the electricity was gonna happen f- a, in that area, then it would be a. a I don't want to say easier, but you wouldn't feel so cheated when you're trying to juggle, you know, just navigating the stage and, and avoiding that obstacle because it's an it's an unseen obstacle. It, it's there's the orb, and you know you've got to be cautious, but you don't. It's really hard to tell where that you know where that's going to end, and part of that might also have to do with the 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 beautiful sort of grid structure that's so prevalent in the early parts of the game. Uh, you know, you get into this industrial area, and so there's no grid pattern that's as easy to read. A sense of scale, right? And so, or distance. Yeah. So if there was like a grid pattern below the for the textures of the the ground below you, below that uh, enemy or that whatever you want to call those things, because they're not really enemies, you can't destroy. Badniks. Yeah. <laughs> so badniks. Yeah. If you could, if you could see, if you could judge their distance that way or something, but there's just nothing to give you that that tell and yeah i just uh um i've got some i got some final questions for you yeah go for it shoot Alrighty. so you noted this uh either intentionally or unintentionally last time come on sorry um did you find the pacing um of marble zone labyrinth zone and scrap brain zone so the even levels that are slower uh did you find that that hurt the game or did you find the slower pace enhanced the game i i or did you not notice i didn't really notice but i do those um so what were the zones again marble zone so marble labyrinth and scrap 
brain. So that's two, four, six versus uh, Green Hill, Spring Yard, and um, Starlight, which are one, three, five. Those move a little faster. Mm. The even stages move a lot slower. That's funny. I really like Marble Zone. So um, do I. <laughs> I, I re- <laughs> That's, I actually really, th- um, I know it's more linear, um, but I thought that the platforming challenges combined with the tight jumping uh, made that one of my favorite stages. Yeah, and I feel I feel like Starlight Zone, um, like if I was to say, you know, what, what did I like the most? I feel like Star, um, Starlight Zone S- might become one of my favorite ones, but I have music. Yeah. The music in Starlight Zone is amazing. Like the Genesis FM chip just sings. It's so it's so good. Yeah. And I actually really like the music on the uh Scrap Brain because it's absolutely a ripoff of the in credits music to Blade Runner. <laughs> no doubt. Interesting. It totally is. <laughs> um and I love that soundtrack, so I'll I'll give them a pass on that one. Um right on. but uh I I know what you're talking about. There's like a TikTok to it, huh? Where there's, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I actually, I do appreciate the slower, uh, slower stages. Um, I, I do. I will tell you that the, I obviously I've gotten thousands of comments on Sonic games and um, most people look at Sonic 1 as the lesser of the classic games because of Marble Zone, Labyrinth Zone, and Scrap Brain <laughs> Zone so and the reduced pace. Yeah. Labyrinth Zone I like too. I, I the thing the thing that bothers me about it of course is the final the final fight, but beyond <laughs> beyond that well and I will say the other thing that made the Robotnik fight really annoying was that I, I was doomed because I had hit that darn checkpoint. If I hadn't hit that checkpoint at the bottom before you start your way up, um, I I would have been able to get more coins again and again and again because I had hit another checkpoint. Rings. R- rings. God <laughs> darn, man. I'm so many people are pulling I'm trying to out. protect your I'm I trying know. to protect your um my, your cred. My cred, right? <laughs> but well, it's it's so new to me. Like I literally haven't yes. played any Sonic. But uh so I I, I feel like that checkpoint was real trolly and I, I hate it and I'll never ever touch that one again because you when you get down there you have to work your way back to go and touch it because it, you know you're just going to be going forward and so I think I feel like that was like a really trolly place to put it because uh, you know you don't get any coins and then you go up there and all you've got is a shield and this giant hurdle of death like that you've got to get through um, but yeah I love it's so funny I I the first, um, you know, the uh, the first zone I really like. Why am I, why am I drawing a blank? I've got my oh, marble zone. Uh, Green Hill zone I like. Oh. Uh, but marble zone is probably my favorite. And spring yard zone, I, I, you know, it's funny. I'm I'm the opposite of everyone. This is like the Star Trek thing, like uh, the even numbered Star Treks. <laughs> like I I actually do when I'm looking at the list right now. I'm looking at this this uh, screenshots of the of the stages. I I like marble zone more than I like Green Hill Zone. I like Labyrinth Zone more than I like Spring Yard Zone. Um, what, I guess what I like about them is that I don't feel like I'm missing out on so much. Like, Oh, there you go. Like, I know in Spring Yard Zone, there's like, it feels like there's probably three or even four different paths that I could take. Green Hill Zone really starts to feel that way too, especially the the later, like uh, two Act 2 and 3. Um I don't know if that's true or not, but it certainly feels that way to me. And then 
um, I do feel that same the same way with Starlight, where it's like there's uh, there's a bunch of stuff I'm going to be missing, and I have that weird sensation of, I mean you that's OCD. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> well, and and then the no, optimization, legit, yeah, the optimization in me, where it's like, what's the best way to do this, you know, and what what's the what am I missing out on fun and stuff like that? Like Spring Yard Zone, I kept going backwards. I'd get I'd get up vertically at behinds whatever was normally supposed to kind of get you up to the tops of the, of the, the zones. And then I'd work my way backwards. And I totally knew I would, you know, that really I was supposed to get up there and just sort of go, go to the right and enjoy that. So I was, I was kind of fighting it the way that I would do it, but I wanted more coins. I needed more coins and that kind of thing. So that, okay. Well, so anyways, that, that like, um, that just sort of made it, you know, the backtracking just wasn't, wasn't really fun. <laughs> so final thoughts, Sonic the Hedgehog is now, uh, it's off your backlog. Um, good, great average. Um, hmm. I like or it. Unsure. I like it. Um, I, I really feel like once I'm on two, I would know more of what oh, I think you. of yeah. it. But I, I really enjoy it, and it, it does feel like the kind of game, like I've said before, if you go back and, and play it again, it, it sort of reveals its secrets to you. So kind of, right. I kind of wish there was a level select at the end. <laughs> there's a cheat code for a level select. Oh, there you go. I've actually made that argument before. Someone's like, there's no continues, and like, well, you could just use the cheat code. And they're like, that's not the same. I'm like, well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right so with that let's move on to the news uh this one's all you man because i don't know anything about humble bundle <laughs> ign buys humble bundle yeah so humble bundle is uh this interesting um website that lets you essentially they they work every month to collect a bunch of game developers together and say hey um essentially it's by what um pay what you want for video games and the money that you put towards it goes to charity. And so the way that it's sort of uh, advanced over time is it's become where you, uh, the more you give, the more you get. And, and okay. so there's like bundles of games and, and, uh, if you give, you know, $10, you'll get five or six games or whatever. And, and, um, the, the, like a if, tier. Yeah, and if enough people donate, then the, there's different tiers that unlock and you get even more games and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it's it's this uh, interesting uh, concept, but but it's kind of weird that uh, a game publishing company has, has uh, acquired it. And it, it, to me, it just seems kind of a weird thing to do because I also, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Humble Bumble is also a publisher themselves. I think they published a few uh they have a few titles under their belt um so it's just this weird purchase that that uh gaming uh you know giant gaming uh online gaming magazine company has has bought and it's it seems to me i don't know much about hum humble bundle except for it's a, a distributor of games of some sort but it strikes me as uh there being a giant conflict of interest for a video game review company to well i guess ign does more than that now um it's not 1998 anymore but a, a, a company that reviews things should not also then be selling things something about that doesn't seem right to me i or am i right looking that's, too much into no it? that's the way i i read it it's, it's 
it, it will always come to question, you know, any favorabilities uh, potentially um, in the in the future. But I think I think from a business standpoint, if I had to guess, what they've done is they're looking uh, diversify. Well, I'm thinking tax exemption because they're a charity, um, and so they get mm-hmm. they get charitable donations, and so it works as a tax a tax write-off, you know, um, as the company. So I think that might be the angle is it's like, an, uh, you know, they can say they're doing good and they get that, that, that easy write-off essentially. But I don't know how it works when you own a subsidiary or, or anything like that as a big company. But if I, if, and I'm not trying to be cynical, but I think from a business standpoint, that might be what they're doing. Um, yeah, I just, I don't see the synergy. It, it doesn't, I, yeah, yeah, nothing about it makes sense. I don't see I don't see like a huge opportunity. Like I assume, you know, whoever started Humble Bundle, you know, uh, gets to cash out and that's the end of it. I don't, I don't really get it. Well, they're supposedly they're going to, they're going to stay the same and everything like that. And that's, that's always how it starts. Um, and then until everybody gets fired. <laughs> well, yeah. Until they consolidate, um, or and they purchase layoffs. Right. And, exactly. Yeah. But anyways, I, I thought that was interesting and, um, just seems it seems odd, but I think the angle might be that that it's just it's just works out that they can uh, they can it was use just it as charity. convenience. Yeah, yeah, Microsoft buying Minecraft. It was available. It was convenient. That's, That's true. it. Yeah. Alrighty, this was a huge uh, piece of news. This just came out today, and it came out of nowhere, as far as I know. And that's Analog announces the Super NT. The Analog NT, of course, um, was a or the Analog NT Mini was a FPGA NES uh, made out of cast aluminum. Cost four hundred and fifty dollars. The company Analog started with their uh, with their wooden MVS. Oh, I forget what you would call them. I guess a consolization where they took a an MVS, put it inside a wood, an awesome wood case and sold it. And then they moved on. And now this is like, it almost reminds me of Tesla. So the Super NT is an FPGA Super Nintendo. Um, but instead of being made out of wood or a solid piece of aluminum, it's made out of plastic. And it only costs $190. Yeah, that's... Uh, I. So which one would you get? It it comes in four different uh four flavor. I wouldn't get clear, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't get black. Um I would probably just get the normal one that would match With the, the US system. Yeah. Um but I I do think that the Super Famicom one is the best looking of the bunch. Yeah. It would be between those two. Yeah. I, it clear is very like Nintendo 64 2001. It doesn't really appeal to me. <laughs> right. So the FPGA is what you were talking about. Um, I, we we talked about it last episode. It's it's kind of the parts. It, it it's not necessarily emulation. It is a recreation of the hardware itself. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's how I explain it. Yeah, it's a recreation of the hardware. I uh, there's no other. It's it's sort of emulation and sort of not. I would just yeah recreation of the hardware. So I have a um an NES FPGA made by a different company, the Retro USB AVS, um which I think is 170 or 180 dollars and uh, as I mentioned 2 weeks ago, I love it. It is fantastic. Uh, a fantastic way to play the NES authentically. Um so I see no reason why this would not play Super Nintendo games as authentically as possible uh, with that pure digital signal. 
and uh you know at the at, at a price point that's very reasonable for what it is 190 dollars uh, in a good looking case from a reputable company um i actually tr- traded in my old super nintendo and then bought a super nintendo junior that i was going to have rgb modded um so that i could have the best quality super nintendo through my freightmeister yeah um but i think i'm just going to skip that i i think this is what i will buy instead right i am so blown away by the avs the the nes um fpga console that i i even if i modded my snus junior i would just want this anyway right um like the retro usb avs um this does not come with controllers uh they do have matching um those those matching bluetooth dongles with uh, matching controllers for 40 dollars by 8-bit dough yeah i think we talked about that company and their, yeah. their nes or their their joystick a few episodes ago yeah those um so all in you're looking at 230 but so the the controllers wouldn't appeal to me but the 190 and just the system strikes right. me as pretty awesome well and the target audience is going to have controllers already anyways if you're buying yeah, yeah. exactly so but it's yeah it's really exciting it's cool to see this this market explode I, you know, it's like, okay, does that mean Genesis, Master System, Game Gear? Like, I know a lot of these cores are, are, you know, written right now and being tested. I'm not sure if they're ready for prime time, but it's like, all right, did I waste a lot of money on RGB cables <laughs> in the frame history? Because these things are pretty awesome. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so you can pre-order now, uh, search Analog Super NT, you'll find it. And uh um february 2018 i believe they're coming out so i will i have that decision to make i kind of mentioned i've got a a big fat youtube check coming um in a week because of the youtube channel exploding last month um so i need to buy a fridge uh but man this this looks sweet i i want one real bad (laughs) well you know it it, because you can use it with the super game boy uh which appeals to me as well Uh, so yeah that's two birds one stone yep so we shall see. I, I will probably be responsible and order one in February. And I'm sure I'll end up waiting nine months like I did for the, the retro USB AVS, but whatever. I will have one. It, it just it looks too good not to. So from one beautifully engineered piece of uh, revamped retro gaming <laughs> console to one not so much. So this is something I've... It's it's been known for months and I've purposely not talked about it um, because I think it's stupid. And uh, I, with the YouTube landscape, the way it is, I I figured it was time for us to weigh in on this. And this is of course the CD, uh, which is S E E D I the Indiegogo campaign uh, for this CD retro console. Have you heard about this before I put it in the notes? I had heard about it, um, but, but I, I mean, I don't know that it's even going to hit its Indiegogo goal. Uh, I haven't checked it since uh, since uh, we added it to the notes uh, a couple of days ago. Um, but I only knew about it in passing because um, I hadn't really. I tend to, yeah, I tend to ignore Indiegogo consoles and stuff like this just because a lot of it's pie in the sky. Doesn't you know? It, it's not real. It's not like the the Super NT, which exists, has been engineered, is probably already manufactured or is being manufactured. Right? Like it's a real thing from a real company, right? Um, so when I see things on Indiegogo and Kickstarter, you know, the Coleco Chameleon, of course, I just like all the red flags go off. Right. 
Well, this is so. I don't know if you have anything to add before I go into my rant. No, I mean, what <laughs> I, what I will say is that the presentation and, I mean, just the screenshot that you you have here. Um, I don't know if that's from Metal Jesus's video. That is. So that is the inside uh, taken from the Metal Jesus video, right? But I think I'll let you. I'll let you go. <laughs> Because I think, yeah. Because you could look at the picture and be like, this is a joke. Uh. So, this is my problem with the CD system, uh, and that is what is on their Indiegogo. So, this is the second sentence of the campaign CD is a game console that plays original discs from the Sony PlayStation 1, Neo Geo CD, TurboGrafx CD, Sega CD, DOS PC, and more. So, that is like I copied and pasted from the second sentence on their Indiegogo campaign. And that sounds interesting, right? We're just talking about how cool it is to, to have the retro USB AVS, how cool it is to uh, have the super nt on the horizon um hyperkin has done a lot of emulation consoles that have had varying degrees of success and it's neat that these things are happening my problem is that this is not one of those cool things and the very first problem is the second sentence is a lie this doesn't play the playstation without the bios or it doesn't play correctly without the bios it doesn't include any biases so or bioses so it doesn't play TurboGrafx CD games, it doesn't play Sega CD games, and it doesn't play Neo Geo CD games. So out of the box, it might play, it might emulate PlayStation games. So that's my first problem. Like that is just, that's, that's just false. It's not correct. Right. When you look inside the machine, then you can really start to see the problems. And inside the machines, looking at the serial number on the uh, circuit board here. This is an orange pie light. Uh, the video claims 512 megs. I couldn't figure out how to equip the orange pie light with 512 megs of RAM. I'll assume it must be an option that I couldn't find, but the orange pie light with a, a 256 RAM is $18. Right. It comes with, uh, this has three USB ports on it, and then that's basically what this thing is doing. It has two of them wired for controller, and one of them wired for a laptop-style DVD drive. And that's pretty much the whole thing, wrapped inside uh, uh, what I presume is a custom case. I'm not an expert on plastic injection molding. This kind of looks like a fiberglass... Um, shell to me just based on the texture on the inside and then the way there's a lot of white powder when the screws come in and out it yeah. reminds me of a fiberglass body kit that uh you would have got for your car in the early 2000s if you were into that scene um and it just there's nothing interesting about this to me at all so it comes with a wide variety of emulators all of them have the appropriate license where they can put them on here they're all gpl version 2 except for i believe the genesis one um, and the writer of that emulator will be getting a license for each one sold it comes with a ps3 style bluetooth controller again this is just a mass-produced chinese bluetooth controller that is not custom in any way and uh, they did send two prototypes out to YouTubers. Uh, I think one was like Sega Lord X or something, somebody I'm not familiar with. The other one being Metal Jesus. And then watching that joke of a video is kind of what got me a little annoyed about the whole thing. Well, I mean, so you're using um you're using hardware that that is uh off the shelf. Right. 
you're <laughs> using a, a frame that, that I think even Metal Jesus made the comment that this is a common CD-ROM f- uh, framing uh, kit, the, the plastic itself. Um, what confuses me about all of this is, like, like you're saying, that, so you present yourself, it, they both mention, okay, so first of all, I won't... I won't begrudge I, I won't begrudge anyone who buys this, right? I'm not gonna hold that against them at all. If this fits a need that they have, that's great and go for it. Um, but so they present they present themselves as two engineers with uh, with um, experience in the gaming industry, if I'm not mistaken in the video. Yep. Um, like you said, they mentioned that that this will play original discs from PlayStation One, blah blah blah. But we're not going to mention the fact that uh, you actually need the BIOS. And technically, if you download any of those BIOSes off the net, you're actually breaking the law based off of Bleem's legal history, which which set a precedent where, in order for this stuff to to properly be emulated legally, it needs to have a um, the BIOS has, yeah, the BIOS has to be reverse engineered. It has to be reprogrammed. All the signals that you would send the BIOS and the, and the answers that you would get, that has to be, you know, from scratch. You can't, you can't rip, rip the original BIOS. Is my understanding of, of that. Um, so it makes you kind of a criminal the minute, the minute that you download that BIOS and slap it in to, to be able for it to emulate properly. Um, but so, so that that presentation of of this consumer device. And the fact that it really isn't that, to me, the question is, why does this need a GoFundMe? Because, I mean, the, yeah. the hardest part to me would be ordering. <laughs> you could just buy it and sell it on eBay. Well, that's, I mean, it's, well, that's the thing, it's right? It's $30 they, worth of parts. <laughs> the hardest part for them would have would be to get the capital to buy those plastic frames. That's probably it. I'm and I'm I'm not I I don't know you know I don't know 100% for sure but just thinking about it it's like you know maybe they need to be able to buy enough in bulk of the uh orange the orange pies or whatever to be able to save uh enough money for for them to return on their investment or whatever it is maybe but if they just wanted to start selling these one off, they could do that right now. And I feel like that would have been a much more, uh, to me, a much more sort of, uh, I don't want to use the word well, honest. We talk, about, we talk about analog, right? They started by selling consoleized MVSs, as far as I know. And that's what they did until they built up enough capital to do their next project. They didn't start, maybe they did. I guess I shouldn't go that way because I'm not sure. But something, it it just, if you combine all of these things and put them together, then yeah, why, if if this was sold as a kit, if this was sold as an orange pie retro gaming emulation box, that would be, (laughs) that would be like totally honest and I wouldn't feel like anybody was trying to mislead somebody. Right. If this was sold as a kit, like you can buy the um, the OSSC, for example, you can buy it as a kit and put it together yourself. If this was sold as a orange pie emulation kit, again, that would make a lot more right. sense to me. What? But it is not a game console that plays original discs from blah, 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 no. blah, blah. And the, the thing that <laughs> sunk it for me was when, um, when you realize they're using a uh, another GPL... Uh, open source solution for the interface that that the system is going to use to uh, you know when you boot it up and you don't have anything plugged in. 
um, it's using uh, something called Kodi TV, which is just another media center interface. It's open source, and apparently this is the one that got started way back on the Xbox when you'd mod your Xbox and throw in that media center. Thing. Xbox Media Center, XBMC. Yeah. yeah. So so it's it's based off of that, and so that part of it, I was like, oh well, they must. What they're working on then is the in, the interface, but then even then, it's like, well, no maybe they're going to skin it and maybe they're going to add some custom switches to some INI files or something like that. But it doesn't seem like they beyond, beyond the that. The only it, thing I could find on their website uh, was they said they wrote some sort of interface software for the DVD drive. I don't even know if that's true. Well, and, and all that probably is, is I'm guessing again, this is just me speculating and, and I probably shouldn't do that, but you stick the disc in; it needs to figure out what what console to play it on, and so they. Oh, there you go. You know, maybe it, that's it. <laughs> it probably just needs to look at a couple certain. You know, every PS One game has these files, and then it tells them which emulator to launch. Right, and then it says, "Okay, okay. well, and you know, because you can through the command line, you can launch these emulators and and give it an ISO and have it go. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I I I don't I don't hold anyone. You know. Again, if this is something that that you would find useful, that's that's totally great. But yeah, like the way that you're you're putting it, I think is the best way to put it. Is it it doesn't feel exactly upfront and and honest um, with what kind of product it is. Here's the other thing that bothers me is that especially if you watched the video, it was oh they they tell me this could be fixed with a software update. This could be fixed with a software update. Well, if they're not the ones writing the software, then Maybe it can't be fixed with the software update because they're certainly not going to be the ones doing it. <laughs> well, yeah, they're not the ones writing the front end, the emulator, the you all know, of that. You know, if they if they roll their own version of Debian and and put together their own app server, they could set up automatic updates or something like that. They could go that far if they really wanted to. Is a two man team right with exactly. no money right. doing that? No, right. no chance. So. I'm I'm with you. If if this was a kit that you could buy, uh, the case, you know, they sell these for Raspberry Pis. You can you can go on Amazon and they they have kits where you know you just assemble it and you get all this stuff. Um, the we have things like with with the Raspberry Pi, you've got uh, Retro Pi, which sounds like that that's the missing piece to all of this. Is it just packages it all together and and presents it to you in a nice clean interface and everything like that. Um, it you know they they are doing the hard I guess they're doing the switches of of the emulators and everything like that to get them to run at their best performance on the particular hardware that they're packing in with it. But in the end, you know this is just a bunch of different parts put together that it, it's not custom really in in so much as the pieces are readily available for anyone to pick up and, and put together. Um, yeah. Here's the other problem I hate with all of these style devices is when they don't solve a problem. Right. This does not solve a problem. For one, the PlayStation 1 is easy to emulate. You could buy a PlayStation 2 and have that sweet 240p component video or PlayStation 1 with RGB or you could just buy a PlayStation 3 and have nice 1080p PlayStation. Yeah. So that's already easily available, has been done for decades. So 
That doesn't really help. Second, if you own and play Neo Geo CD games, TurboGrafx CD games, Sega CD games, you're not going to emulate them. Like, you're just not that kind of player. I own a Neo Geo CD. I would not dream of emulating the Neo Geo CD. Same goes for the Sega CD. Um, and if I was in the emulation, I, 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 at this point, I probably would have made my own RetroPie or bought one. Right. And then uh, lastly, the DOS PC, from what I could see in the video, is spotty at best. And not necessarily plug and play, because you have to configure things like sound cards and keyboards and whatnot. So it's not really plug and play. No. So there is, th- this doesn't solve any problem to me and that's why i don't like it that's the same reason i didn't like the coleco chameleon the promise was oh we're gonna make cartridge-based gaming again well there is no need for cartridge the physical media is not dead i can go to walmart and there's hundreds of choices for me so <laughs> the coleco chameleon didn't solve a problem of cartridge or, or physical media i should say this doesn't solve any sort of problem because if you own neo geo cd games sega cd or turbo graphics cd like you're just not going to spend a hundred and ten dollars on an orange pie emulation box right and and Ultimately, I think that there's going to be a lot of disappointed people because they've got 125. They've, I misspoke. Yeah, they've they've got, um, you know, they've they've got they're putting a name on it. They're putting they're putting a company behind it. Um, and it, it it's just going to be something where if there's a problem or whatever, it's just going to tarnish them. If they sold this as a kit, it wouldn't be that way at all. You know, um, it, it wouldn't I agree. be, but a minute, like the minute there's a problem or something like that, it's their name. It's not, it's not orange pie. It's not the case manufacturer. It's not the CD-ROM drive. It's them. Um, and I, I, it's just, it seems like this might, the level of support that they're going to have to provide. I sell used video game consoles <laughs> and I stopped doing that because when I would sell them, I would get contacts from people saying, how do I plug this into my TV? I don't see anything. And I know they worked. They just don't know how to change inputs. Simple things like that, that you're trying to sell something that is for somebody like that, that this is something that, oh, you have all those old discs. Just plug this into your TV. You're, you're going to be good to go. The minute that they have a problem, what phone number are they going to call? You know, is are you going to be making enough money to be able to support the people who, who do have trouble with it? Mm-hmm. Or are you just going to have a static website with an FAQ and a couple of videos? Um, well, you know the answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man. So I... I don't like it when hobby projects are presented as retail project products, and I really don't like it when giant YouTubers just don't do a good job of educating their audience, to be quite honest. Right. I, I The video should not... Yeah, this... I, I would never make a video of a product this suspect and pretend that this was awesome. There, I just couldn't do it. Right. I couldn't do it. That screenshot alone, that alarm bells. <laughs> <laughs> I, this isn't a video, obviously. Uh, there's a screenshot. I th- what is the timestamp on that? It's like 253. Yeah. Let's see if I can make it bigger. Yeah, 253 on the Metal Jesus video. Like, uh, no way I'm endorsing <laughs> right. that. Red that's, alert. That's insane. It's hot glued, <laughs> hot glued uh, USB cables, and they're wrapped and tied. And oh my god, uh, it's. I you know at least he opened it. <laughs> But I just, I couldn't, you know, 
I, I, I'm an early adopter kind of guy. I bought a Microsoft Zune the day it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the software on the Windows side, it was bad software. Eventually it matured. But that day one Zune experience kind of sucked. I bought an Xbox 360 on the day it came out. And there was shortages were so bad, I didn't even have a memory card. I had to leave my Xbox on for a few days <laughs> <laughs> so that I didn't lose my game of Perfect Dark or Project Gotham. I bought an HD DVD player on day one. And if you own an HD DVD player, they take about two minutes to boot up. So I understand being an early, I, I have the 147th, 147th Framemeister off the assembly line. That's how long I've owned Framemeister. I had one of the first 147. And that thing is ridiculously complicated to use, especially when you're one of the only people that has one. Like I get the early adopter thing and I know that when I buy something on day one, it's going to have problems and there is that expectation, but I wouldn't accept, expect my audience to put up with what I put up with. Right. So I'm an early adopter type of guy and I understand, you know, what that entails, but you can't then ignore that and say, oh, well, I'm an early adopter kind of guy. So therefore I'm just going to pretend there are no problems. Like that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Any closing thoughts or should we move no, on? No, I, I think that's good. Um, I, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I do, I wish these guys luck. I hope that they can maybe, you know, if they provide the support that needs to be there for this and and they become slightly successful for this, that they actually really try to go uh, the route of the, you know, other people have set, set examples of, of how you start to build your own hardware and, and that kind of thing. Because I, I could see, I could see, you know, the CD market, kind of needing something like this in the future because those drives will die. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I hope, I hope everyone's happy. The buyer and, and the seller. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Streaming picks as we near the final block of the show. Uh, so these are, yeah, streaming picks. I guess it doesn't really get more complicated than that, does not <laughs> My streaming pick comes from Netflix. This is a documentary called Long Shot. I don't know. Have you seen this or has it popped up for you? No. It's, uh, what's it about? All right. Do you even have Netflix? Uh, I do when I need it. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll log oh, that's into right. That's with, right. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah, different account. Okay, yeah. sorry. Long shot is a 40 minute documentary uh, about a man charged with murder. I believe this was in 2002 or 2003, and uh, this was just a, a poor, normal Los Angeles man, just an everyday Joe, got charged with murder, and uh, yeah. So there's like footage of him getting questioned by the police and and the court case and all those types of things. Um, but what's really fascinating about this whole thing was that uh, the night of the murder he was at an LA Dodgers game which should make and I think the murder happened at like 1030 so then he the 40 minute documentary is sort of his defense attorney trying to prove this man was at the Dodgers game do they use footage Um, they find him in the crowd kind of thing well, there, he couldn't find his tickets and like he bought popcorn and cards and stuff, but he used cash, you know, not a debit or credit card where he would have got a receipt right. or if he did get a receipt with cash, he just didn't save it. So, you know, he didn't have a record of it. And uh, the defense attorney looked through the three hours of footage provided by the stadium and uh, it was just low grade, uh, you know, 2002 standard def crappy video. Um, but it turns out the guy remembered that... 
while he was like going, you know, back to a seat and then to the concession and back, he remembered seeing a camera crew there. And it turns out they were shooting an episode of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, an HBO show in the same section that he was sitting in. Wow. So they end up uh, going through, you know, a dozen hours of Curb Your Enthusiasm trying to find this guy. And uh, that's probably the best part of the whole show. A few other things happen as well in the in the final act that I won't spoil. Uh, but this is just a really fascinating 40 minute documentary. And I would recommend if you have Netflix to watch it. It has nothing to do with being nerdy. But yeah. It's fascinating. Kind of reminded me, it really made me think about the justice system. Like I said, it was just, just a poor schmo. Uh, you know, I, I don't have, like, if I was charged with murder, I don't really have money for a defense attorney to help me. And I've dealt with this type of thing before, and public defenders kind of, you know, they're not going to give you a, a trial. They're just sort of there to walk you through the process. Um, and that really made me think of, you know, back in 2000 one for me i believe it was so yeah kind of reminded me had a little bit of a making of a murder vibe uh which you know was a huge show on netflix but just the whole justice system and kind of getting people thinking about that i I like that aspect of it yeah i think it's important for anyone to remember that um the right to remain silent is a right and um i'm sure it's probably even related to this i haven't seen it but oftentimes if you're innocent you'll feel like you need to say a lot in order to prove Mm -hmm. your innocence. And often if you're, if you're under investigation, if you're a suspect in a crime, they're trying to collect evidence against you. The right to remain silent is a way to protect yourself from, from incriminating yourself, whether you're guilty or not. It's, it's, you know, that's, that's oftentimes it's best to just zip it. And, you know, especially if you're innocent, you, do, you obviously don't want to to go down the rabbit hole of being charged for a crime you didn't commit. Um, but, yeah, those always freak me out, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've dealt with the, you know, the justice system. It sucks. It's, yeah. It's not good. Uh, it's not friendly for poor people. Mm, um, no. And I was in that position and it sucked. Yeah. I didn't murder anybody, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't charged with murder. I don't, I don't think you did, but yeah. Uh, what is your pick? So my pick is The Orville, which is uh, on television, broadcast television. I believe it's on Fox, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And it's also, um, I'm sure you can get it through streaming, through Hulu, or some, some other s- service out there. I would assume it's on Hulu yeah. and probably even Fox's website, but definitely on Hulu. So I said on Twitter a couple of days ago, I said that Orville is the best Star Trek show on TV, and I think it is. <laughs> um, it, I think this show is going to last for a while. I think it's only going to be 12 episodes in, in this first season. And so I'll just explain it very simply. It is basically, so Seth uh, McFarlane, the, the, I think that's his last name, right? He's the guy who created Family Guy and uh, American Dad and, and, a, and, you know, a few movies, Ted and a bunch of other stuff. So he has kind of a crass sense of humor and, and whatnot. But it's really toned down for this show. And it really hits, particularly in the next generation, it hits those Star Trek beats really well with an additional element of comedy. Um, mm-hmm. But it still hits the insightful, the way that sci-fi can kind of cut to um, a societal issue and and put it in a different canvas 
and and take away any hostilities that we may have with our own personal beliefs on something, present it to you in a different way and make you think about it, which is like what great sci-fi does, I think. And so that's what this show surprisingly does really well. I think you have to probably get to the third episode um, before it really starts to hit its stride. But when it does, it, it it's it's actually really good. Interesting. Um, so I've been really surprised by it. It it is it is funny, and um, there's actually some big stars on it that make cameos and things like that. But um, some surprisingly great sci-fi for for what's supposed to be just a, a fun comedy thing. Um, it's not so much in the weeds with 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 uh, like what would you call it like high sci-fi like a uh, really heady stuff how does a warp drive work or anything let's like ta- that yeah yeah let's spend 10 <laughs> minutes talking about this button yeah it's <laughs> it's not like that at all it's just like you know it just it's great it's and i totally recommend it um awesome yeah all right man yeah you know uh i got about 20 minutes left but i the, I, I don't know if this is true but i one of the last sci-fi series fox tried was firefly which i i fell in love with and i've probably watched it five or six times all the way through but it makes me think that man this might not work yeah but maybe it will i maybe it's time i don't know they do they do i mean nerds are coming back yeah yeah we rule the world (laughs) did you like firefly or did you not watch it oh yeah i loved it i i does anybody not love firefly well i had i was a weirdo that saw serenity first in theaters and never had seen firefly and then went back and saw firefly so i had like, well oh. you know what's funny is this all ties together so i mentioned being an early adopter of hd dvd and serenity was one of the first four movies that came out on launch and i bought it but i'm like i can't watch this before i watch firefly so then i went out and i bought the firefly series oh, nice. and th- because i was an early adopter of hd dvd that's how i discovered firefly yeah that was a great show ah, man it's still it's you can just put that on and, and binge watch you it can again. yeah that, that waste a day it's amazing yeah hopefully the orville is uh yeah reaches that same sort of critical mass hopefully or better than that i guess i should say yeah. <laughs> otherwise it will die all right matthew cheap games yes collecting can be expensive but it doesn't have to be so in this segment we're going to talk about two games that cost less than ten (laughs) dollars sorry i read your comment that cost less than ten dollars and are definitely worth your time yeah mine's uh already yeah you you kick it off (laughs) okay I'm going to go with Super Off-Road for the NES, which goes for right now on eBay. There's copies uh, for between $9 and $10 uh, with shipping that you can buy today. And uh, this is one of my favorite NES or favorite 8-bit racing games, actually. Uh, Admittedly, it is probably not the best racing game in the world, um, but I do think it is good. Uh, So this is a single screen racer in the same vein as something like Super Sprint. Um, So it's not a third person you know, line scroller like Rad Racer, it's a single screen overhead view or a 45 degree view sort of game. And you can see all of your opponents in the track and nothing scrolls. And, you know, it's kind of neat. It's like racing micro machines or something. Yeah. And uh, there's eight different tracks. It, I think after 15 tracks, you run out of continues or there's no continues anymore. So then from track 15 through 99, um, you have to win half of the races. um, Because if you lose three in a row, 
uh, it's game over. So basically, you know, you could lose two and then win two and kind of keep that counter, um, you know, above zero, and then you can beat the game. Uh, but it's pretty standard. It has upgrades. You know, you upgrade your suspension, your acceleration, blah, blah, blah. You collect money so you can buy nitro boosts. And then it kind of becomes a game of managing uh, which tracks can you um, just don't even try to win, save your nitros, and which tracks um, you can win and then timing your nitro boosts so you kind of balance your way all the way to level 99 and beat the game see as a kid i never figured out that strategy and i'm i'm kicking myself <laughs> because i always struggled i loved this game i loved playing it in the it's, arcade with the giant wheels i loved playing it on uh nes and then super nes as well um this was like, i tried playing on the super nes and uh it didn't do it for me oh, and really? I, I don't even own it anymore but oh, wow. something about this nes version it, it, I went back, I, I did a review of this game, episode 21 of Implant Games Reviews, which I think uh, is from 2011, so it's an oldie, it's a little rough. Um, I'm actually on camera, there's a, there's a little bit of editing, it, it was kind of a weird throwback to go back and watch that video, um, but it took me about two hours to get through all 99 stages. So it's a it's a pretty lengthy game, but yeah, that that balancing once you figure out okay, how do I actually exploit this game because the AI is broken, the money, everything about this is broken. Yeah. How do I take advantage of that? And that's what I really dig about it. Yeah, it, it, and it's it's satis- even when you're losing, it's a satisfying. It's just it's just something the about controls it. Are, the way the 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 vehicles like just bounce off, you know, the bumps and the jumps. There's, right. And hitting that, you know, hitting the boosts on, right on the edge of a hill the right way and, and whipping, you know. Launching over your yeah. opponents and it's, it's just very, it's fun. It's just a fun game. Yeah. And I, if I were to describe the controls, it's kind of like your vehicle's on a rubber band and is like, you're pulling, you're pulling the rubber band and that's what's making the, the vehicle move because it, it, <laughs> it has a really loose feel to it, but it's really satisfying. So, so I, I'm stunned. I this I I obviously I have a running list of of every cheap game from when I did the solo and from when we've done it together, and I'm I'm shocked I hadn't picked this. It's such an easy one. Yeah. So mine's <laughs> Check in it the, out. Super off road. Yeah, mine's in the racing vein as well, and it's kind of inspired by Sonic. Um, it's always so Uniracers for the Super NES is is my pick. It's nine dollars. You're gonna have to. It's going between nine and fourteen dollars right now, but you can <laughs> you can get it at nine. There's a couple. There's been about four in the past thirty days that have gone for nine. So oh okay. You, you can find so in it the sold nine. listings they yeah. go for nine. Okay. Yeah. So uh, so you didn't need the really. You, you yeah. said if you try really hard, <laughs> if, if yeah. you try. Yeah, you might have to do a little bit of hunting or or just being patient okay. and let the seller drop the price <laughs> when he realizes it's not moving. But uh, so Uniracers is always what I kind of ex- what I was expecting Sonic to be like. It's go fast in one direction, and that's pretty much all you're doing. But the cool thing about it is that it has a trick system to it, kind of like Tony Hawk or whatever. Um, that accelerates your speed, so you you'll get on these ramps, and you're you're you control a uni uh, cycle with no, the unicycle is an anthropomorphic character. I think is the word to use where you you are the unicycle, and it it looks a lot like uh, this unicycle that was in a Pixar uh, skit, which is why I think they're never going to re-release this game. Um, Red Stream. Yeah, I think that's it. But so anyways, it's just like a blast to play. Um, you get really you'll start to learn the the, the trick system and uh, they all have these goofy names for it. it's very 90s. Um, uh, but but it's just 
it's and it's unforgiving at first. You've got to give it some time, but once you get it down, um, it is a real blast to play. Once you get those combos and those tricks down, and know to vary them up and stuff, so you can keep those boosts going. Um, and you have a rival that you're racing against. It's split screen, even if you're single player, if I recall correctly. Uh, it is a, it can be two player split screen game as well. But um, I had the most fun playing against the computer because I ended up getting too good and just would cre- you know wipe the field with all my friends whenever I played with them. <laughs> But it's it's a great it's a great pick up and play game. Um, in it, I don't know. It's a really satisfying game. The only thing that would probably be annoying to some people, I think, would be the music. But beyond that, um, it's it's just a really fun game to to pick up and play. And it's uh, it kind of the way you're describing it. It kind of reminds me of Hydro Thunder, where the secret to Hydro Th- it's fun to play, but to actually win, you have to know the courses and you have to know where every boost is, so that you can chain as many as you as possible to to keep it going. Yeah, if if you imagine two D side scrolling, some yeah, it, you've got to know where the jumps are. You've got to know when they're coming up, so you can get your brain ready to start to execute a series of you know you're going to be using every button on the uh, the SNES to to rotate the the unit the the cycle and and do all those those kinds of things and chain everything together and and know how long the jump's going to be for. Uh, before you have to stop so you can land properly to keep your speed going and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's a, it's a lot like that um but just 2d and and a little not a boat <laughs> not and not a boat and not a boat at all um but it's a it's a blast definitely recommend it and you have here it's made by rockstar yeah dma at the time which eventually became rockstar so that's interesting kind of a cool little history beat there yeah before they ruined america's youth with you know <laughs> Hookers and shotguns. So I had a funny experience. I finally had three videos um, get flagged for um, not demonetization, but basically demonetization, where this is not suitable for most advertisers. Um, And one of them was um, Land of the Dead for the Xbox. The other one was Total Overdose for the Xbox. Both of those are M-rated games, Mm. um, so that doesn't surprise me too much. And then the other one was um, How to Frame Meister. Uh, Do I need a sink stripper? And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Why on earth would this video Mm. about video signals be flagged for inappropriate content? And then it dawned on me, oh, this is just automatic. The word stripper is in the title, so they flagged it. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're definitely not... Their algorithm is not uh, as uh, It's learning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sync strippers are not the same thing as exotic dancers. No. And and, uh, the the other one was (laughs) overdose was the word that probably... Um, oh, you know, you're right. Total overdose. So, yeah, yeah that could be drugs. Yeah. I wonder Land of the Dead, maybe dead. dead I don't know. Because yeah. I've reviewed other, I think I've reviewed other M-rated games. Like, my Doom videos are all fine. So, hmm. Ha- you know, I bet you. I bet you they just ran a thing of words. Dead overdose stripper. And they all got demonetized or flagged uh, not appropriate for most advertisers. Yeah. It doesn't make me angry no. or anything <laughs> the only time I'm, I'm bummed out about it is is really my i have some concerns about the the trend that's happening personally but it's not really a conversation that we have time for right now but it's definitely something that isn't a problem until it is for people i'm noticing <laughs> on twitter yeah 
Um, well, I'm just going to keep reviewing Sonic and Kirby exactly. games, and uh, I'll just let the problem resolve itself I think while you're I okay. sit back here. My running, my running theory, <laughs> I have a theory that it's actually based off of the your audience for demonetization, the instant demonetization. I feel like it it's, looks more at, at your audience than I think some of these people are realizing, perhaps. <clears throat> I, I think you hit it the first overdose. Yeah. Like I, it didn't even dawn on me, but... Yeah, that'll be interesting. So three out of 500. Not bad. Yeah. All right. We have time for a question from Christian. And he says, another great episode, guys. Thanks. I have a question for both of you. As a Sonic fan who doesn't appreciate the 2D games, this includes Mania, but not classic Sonic in Sonic Generations, but adores certain 3D games. What makes a Sonic what makes a good Sonic game? It's something that's been baffling me for a while. Naturally, there are many different core fan groups within the Sonic fan base, yet something tells me there must be something or some things that define a good Sonic game as an entire experience. I will do my best. I think that the classic Sonic games, the Dreamcast era Sonic games, the Boost Sonic games, the Sonic Rush games on the DS, uh, one-offs like Sonic Lost World, I don't know if any of them really have all that much in common. And I think just from a personal preference standpoint, that is why different fans like certain games but not others. I will say that I think the quality level of the titles from 1991 through the present has been all over the map in many of the games. Uh, there was a couple of garbage games on the Wii that used motion controls, for example. Um, Sonic 2006 is another really bad one. Um, Michael, if you want to play a really frustrating version of the original Sonic the Hedgehog, check out the Game Boy Advance version. It is unplayable. <laughs> <laughs> and I... And I guess what it comes down... So, yeah, Sega deserves all the crap they get for releasing such awful products. But I think... The only thing I really have to say about this is that... Um, I think I wish Sonic fans looked at Sonic games as just video games instead of trying to label them Sonic games. Because I feel like that's where a lot of the rift between older and newer fans come from is trying to base the quality of a game on a set of restrictions or a, you know a bulleted list sonic is this this and this and if he doesn't do these three things it's a bad sonic game i think that's a little ridiculous i think every video game every sonic game should be just viewed as a video game yeah. and i think it would be a lot easier to parse what makes certain games good and certain games bad sonic lost world a game i find to be a a, a pretty decent platformer uh it might not be a good sonic game it is not the fastest sonic game the level structure is totally different um but I don't really care because I don't look at a Sonic game and say it has to do these four things. Otherwise, it's bad. Um, so that's kind of all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like I know I've known about the strife in the Sonic community, you know, the weird passionate bases that that exist in it. And I, I think you're right. I think it's kind of like you've got these people who if you were to translate it into something else, it would be the equivalent of somebody arguing this CD is better than this book, is better than this, about this? movie. It would be Sonic, uh, Mar Super Mario Sunshine is a bad Mario game because he has that water jetpack. 
Well, yeah. having a water jetpack doesn't make a game bad. This drives me nuts with uh, Crash Bandicoot Wrath of Cortex, the, the sixth generation platformer made by Traveler's Tales instead of uh, Naughty Dog. And uh, the biggest complaint I see, well, one guy was like, this game sucks, his feet are too big. I'm like, well, that's weird. Um, another complaint was the jump is too floaty. And I'm like, the jump has always been floaty in Crash games. Um, but the, the number one thing that people hated was all the different, um, like half the game is not platforming it's racing it's rolling around as a ball it's flying around it's doing all these other things and some of those other things are actually really well done the flying stages are probably the best flying stages i've ever played in any 3d platformer and then the uh like the super monkey ball style level i i just found them really fun the physics were so good i really enjoyed moving around those levels yeah um you know rolling down ramps trying to take advantage of the physics and i didn't really care that there was all these other things to do now some of them sucked but they kind of sucked in other crash games too but the fact that there were different gameplay styles doesn't make it bad the fact that sonic is slow in some games doesn't make it bad sonic heroes is missing the spin dash that doesn't make it bad um so i don't have an answer for that question specifically but um you know as you talked about uh, in the first hour of the podcast you know there are a lot of things wrong with the original sonic the hedgehog some yeah. minor things like uh, you know the bonus ring at the end and and some major things like the level you know scrap brain zone not being obvious what the way forward is so there's a lot of reasons that you know you might not like those classic games and and might dig a different you know sub series yeah i think the 2d games in particular if you imagine a kid coming home from school and putting on sonic and then the next day coming from from school and putting on sonic and then the next day coming home from school and putting on sonic you start to realize what i think they were going for possibly and so that that to me is what brought appreciation to the 2d games at least which i thought would be the hardest ones for me to to like of all but i'm starting to starting to appreciate it and it's short so that helps yeah yeah, gaming is different now you know kids aren't limited to one game you know they have phones and tablets filled with free-to-play games so they don't have to play the same game every day after school so some of those you know design quips just don't work in 2017 nope still love the game all right that is going to do it for today's episode if you'd like to leave a comment or question hit us up on twitter i am at implant matthew is at cricket k-r-i-k-i-t and use the hashtag ipg podcast otherwise leave a comment on facebook.com slash implant games or the website implantgames.com and until next time guys have a great two weeks